so abrupt, right? We're worshiping and all of a sudden we're in the club. All right. It's great to have you here this morning. Welcome if you're visiting. My name is Mark. If you have a Bible, you can open it with me because we, we, we study the Bible here when I preach. And uh, we, uh, we want to look at it today in Titus chapter 2, so you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you uh, and you do have a phone or a tablet, you can download our app. Uh, the Bay Life uh, Church app is now available on all of uh, your devices. And there's a Bible on there. It's the English Standard Version. It's the one I use. So uh, if you want to also keep up with what we do as far as our preaching and our calendars and things like that. Speaking of our calendars, uh, tonight's the Fall Festival. Anybody coming? I think it's going to be a blast. Looking forward to taking my grandson around and uh, eating his candy. And uh, uh, but it's going to be a great night. Thousands of folks will be up here. Hope you're coming. If you haven't uh, determined that you are, please do. And then bring someone with you. It's a great opportunity for people in our community to get to know us as a church family without them having the pressure of a weekend Sunday service thing. Uh, and we're praying that tons of folks will come, have a great time, and then uh, God will divert them towards himself as they find themselves worshiping with us. Uh, also, this weekend is the last weekend. You can sign up and get that benefit or that cheaper price for the Rekindle Retreat in January. Uh, many of you already have done that, but uh, today is the last day that you can get that discounted price. Uh, thirdly, if you want to point to one more thing in your bulletin, it's, uh, it's in the corner of one of those inside pages, but it's called, Is the Bible Reliable? It's basically a, a, an invitation for you to come to something that we're starting here at Baylife. Uh, it's going to be called Foundations. You'll hear more about it as uh, we get going in the new year. But we decided that there's lots of questions that people ask us that uh, we spend time emailing or talking about and things like that. And we just wanted to kind of put a, a body of material out there uh, that uh, people can come and, and reference and uh, be, be, be uh, 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 learned. In, that's not the right word. Welcome to 8 o'clock. Um, they can learn the things that they don't know about, the, like in this case, the scriptures. Why, why do we feel like the Bible is reliable if it's written by 40 different authors over thousands of years and compiled you know, sometime in the 3rd or 4th century? Why do we, well, you can come and find out at this special seminar as to why we think the Bible is reliable. It's on Saturday, November 21st. We would love for you to join us. Uh, it'll be a great morning, and you can start signing up at guest services. Now I'm going to pray, and then we're going to preach. Here we go. God, thanks so much for a chance to open your word now. We want to see you in it, God. We want, to, we want to hear you from it, and we want to live before you as a result of interacting uh, this morning in your word. We want to um, you know, hear from you, so you've got to get me out of the way as always, God. But impress upon us, God, the things that, that you're talking about here this morning. As, as Paul instructs Titus to instruct the men and the women in his church, help us to understand that this has a a greater goal in mind, that, that, that we wouldn't just be upright and righteous in and of ourselves, but that we would be impactful, that we would be influencers of a world that desperately needs you, that we, we would be encouragers of each other uh, by the ways that we live. So help us to understand uh, the greater mission in mind this morning, and I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if, you're, if you've been here through this series, we know we're, just, we're looking at this little letter that Paul, the apostle, wrote to one of his buddies, a guy named Titus. He was the pastor of many churches on an island in the Mediterranean called Crete. And uh, he had an interesting clientele. Uh, in, in last week's sermon, we found out that even the Cretans themselves called themselves liars and uh, lazy uh, gluttons. Uh, nice 
nice, uh, you know, buzz lines there or, you know, bylines for your, your culture. But uh, there was lots of work to be done. And so Paul says some nice things in the beginning, uh, talks about how he has uh, been appointed as an apostle and a servant to the chosen. And, and then he just starts right in with Titus and he says, hey, bro, you got to get some more people helping you with this. The, 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 the chance for error in these churches is so high that you have to have more people leading in sound doctrine. So you've got to get these things called overseers, presbuteros and episkopos, overseers and elders. Uh, you, you need to make sure that there's people, men specifically in, in this role, uh, who can lead a people away from the errors. And, th- and this is what we'd figured out. Remember we said this. It's easy to come to parts of Scripture and just kind of be like, that's not me. You know, I don't have pastor in front of my name. I'm, I'm not an elder at my church. I can just skip this part. But the Bible's for everybody. And, and even if you're not given that specific title in the church, everybody in here is somebody's overseer. Everybody in here is somebody's elder. If you're a parent, raise your hand. You're the pastor of your kids. Uh, some of them have already grown up. You're like, done. No, you're still the pastor of your kids. Uh, if, if, if you're a husband or a wife, you're the pastor of your spouse. If you're a friend... You're, you're going to have a pastoral influence over people I will never meet. And so if, if you leave the pastoring and the eldering and the overseeing to the people with the titles, well, we're going we're gonna to miss out on a lot of opportunities for the kingdom. So everybody in here is somebody's overseer and somebody's elder. Last week we talked about the things that we don't do. And uh, we, we looked at the Cretans and we said, listen, we, we don't preach the wrong message. We don't uh, speak with wrong motives. We don't uh, say one thing and do another. These are all the things we don't do. And uh, today we're going to get into the roles of men and women, how we do as men and women. And what we're going to see is uh, that all, that this, where, where kind of the premise is going to come from today, all who respond to the call are called to teach some. All who respond to the call of Jesus Christ in your life. If you're sitting here this morning and you have been saved by grace through faith, you are a Christian, here's, here's what we've been saying that you are somebody's overseer, you are somebody's elder. You are, if you are called to Christ, you are called to teach some. Look what it says in 2 Timothy. It's not 2 Timothy at all. That's an entirely different book. We're in Titus. Is everybody familiar? Okay. In Titus chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with, everybody say it with me, sound doctrine. That word sound there is the Greek word hygienos. What's it sound like to you? Hygienic, right? Uh, it, it, it means healthy. It means healed. In fact, that, that was what it was used of often of people in the Bible who got healed by Jesus and the apostles. They were hygienost. They, they were healed. And so, listen, uh, we need to preach the healed doctrine, not the sick one. We need to preach the healthy stuff, not the stuff that looks like the healthy stuff. And amazing now in products, you know, they're, they're really terrible for you, but they dress them up with their packaging, and it's like, oh, that's probably good for me. It looks like a carrot right? Uh, candy corn. There, there's, there's a shifter right there, right? Looks like a vegetable. It's all sugar, 100%. Kids are going to eat it by the bucket tonight. And they're going to be like, it's corn. It's good for you. No, it's not. And so, and so listen, there's lots of doctrines out there that look like they're good for you, but they're just not. And so our mission, and Titus's mission as given by Paul, was to, to teach the hygienos doctrine. Now, he says this in response to what we learned last week. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 16. 
It says they, and it's talking about the Cretans, these false teachers, especially the ones who are emphasizing legalism and the whole Jewish, you've got to be Jewish before you're Christian thing. They profess to know God. They're talking a good game. But what they do denies him. They deny him by their works. And this is what the result is of that. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Therefore, like it says in verse 1, you need to teach what's in accordance with sound doctrine. This is, this is something that pervades Paul's writings. He's always telling his churches and his buddies, Timothy and Titus, the two pastors that he writes, he says, hey, fellas, make sure that you're teaching sound doctrine. This, in fact, this is what it says in, in, in the second letter that he wrote his buddy Timothy. He's the pastor at a church in Ephesus, and Paul left him there after they got the church going, just like he left Titus in Crete. And he says to Timothy, he says, you then, my child, you then, the one that I poured into, you're my kid, spiritually speaking, you be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, for this end. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's, it's the spiritual pyramid scheme of the Christian faith. We're, we're, we're going to be consumers ourselves. We're going to receive Christ, but then we're going to see, even though we're benefactors of the product, we're going to take it to other people who will receive the product as well. This is very crass terms, but are you with me? And then they will be the, the next sales persons, the next people. This thing's just going to mushroom. It's going to ripple out. It's going to go from person to person to person. And this is how the gospel will be spread. Aren't we all grateful for that? I mean, even in the day and age where there's TVs and radios and internet and stuff like that, this is still a hand-to-hand faith that is passed out and passed down. It goes from... Larry to his kids, and from me to my kids, and from you to your coworkers, and, and this is what happens. And listen, usually when we see these kinds of things, we all think conversions. We want people who aren't Christians to become Christians. And does everybody want that? Is everybody on board with that here at Bay Life Church? We would love to see people who are not yet believers become believers, absolutely. But don't miss out on the fact that this isn't just talking about conversions. This is talking about uh, those who are already converted being influencers of and, and improvers of those others in their lives who are converted as well. It's discipleship, soup to nuts, conversion until completion, which none of us ever get to. But that's our mission, is for us to be involved in the lives of others for the sake of the gospel. We call this in our modern age discipleship. If you type that in your uh, in your uh, you know, spell check or something. It's not going to be a word that usually is allowed. But, but we see ourselves as disciplers. We're disciple makers. That's what we see around here. We exist to what? Surrender to God. Good. Some of you still know that. Great. As he what? As he makes disciples through us here and around the world. It's our entire mission. We surrender to him as disciples ourselves. And then we go about as led by him making disciples of other people called discipleship. I'm excited to see how it's taking place in our church. I'm excited to see how it's going to grow, and, and we're actually going to preach on it in January. We're going to call the series Follow Me, and we've actually dedicated some, some resources to actually creating tools that are going to make discipleship hopefully easier for all of us as we engage in opportunities and the relationships that we have. But I want you to understand that if discipleship doesn't happen, if this hand-to-hand, person-to-person process is somehow stunted, uh, things can go terribly wrong and have gone terribly wrong in the church. Merry Christmas. 
if you can't see it, there's Christmas lights around the TV. Can everybody see those? Yeah. They're everywhere. Anybody been to Cracker Barrel? It was Christmas in Cracker Barrel in July. They love them some Christmas. Anyway, uh, here's what he's basically saying. We are, we are terminal points in a circuit. Now, just like these lights, every one of them, the, the, the power of the electricity flows through them to the other ones. And, and it's how uh, God works through his church. His power has flowed through us. And it's meant to flow through us and to others so that his power and his grace and his mercy can be a part of their lives too. Now, they've gotten better in their, their technology, but these are some old Christmas lights. You may remember getting their Christmas lights out at Christmas, and you plug them in, and what happens? Sometimes, nothing. Why? Because one of the bulbs is burnt out. Remember you used to get the spare bulbs on these Christmas lights back in the day? These were there because the maker of the Christmas lights knew one of these things wasn't going to work. And when one of the lights isn't working or one of the lights has been popped out, what happens to the rest of them? Ain't nothing going on. This is what happens a lot of times in God's, I believe, grand scheme for discipling people, especially in your downline. Here's the deal. You got people around you that you're supposed to disciple that I'll never get a hold of, I'll never be around. Other Christians are not going to have access to. Don't mean to put the onus entirely on you, but I do want you to understand that if you abdicate, if you, if you just say, you know what, I'm absolved of my responsibility as far as being a disciple for Jesus Christ, people are going to have to hear about him from someone else, I'm just going to mind my own business, go to my life group, keep my head down, and, and that's it. And you don't become a disciple of your kids, your spouse, your friends, your coworkers. Then you remove yourself from the process and what happens to their light. Potentially, it never gets turned on. It never gets started. Some are like, come on, Mark, I'm a Calvinist. I believe everybody who's going to make it to heaven is going to make it to heaven. Sure. But I also believe that God would superintend that you would be a part of some people's process, and you miss out, first of all, on the joy of being that person. Has anybody ever gotten to lead someone to Christ in here? That's a good day. You ever been someone who's been the encourager of someone, uh, who's a fellow believer, and, and you were used of God in that moment to bridge their gap? That's a good day. You're going to miss out on the joy of, of, of your opportunity, but they're going to miss out and perhaps flounder because you have removed yourself. May all of us be in the circuit as God intends us to be and be disciplers of those around us. Now, did everybody see that first verse again? I don't know if you can put it up there on the screen, but the first verse in chapter 2 of Titus says, uh, oh, there it is. But as for you, teach, and the words are, what accords with sound doctrine. That basically means there's different facets of sound doctrine. Two of them, ready? The first one is the verbal doctrine. Everybody say, take your hands like this and go verbal. Verbal. It's the stuff that comes out of your mouth. Okay, you're supposed to know enough about what God is about and what his word says that when you get the opportunity to explain it to someone, it can tumble out of your face and be audibly heard. Okay? But then there's the second part of what accords with sound doctrine, and that's living out this sound doctrine in front of them. All right? There's the verbal. Everybody say verbal. Verbal. And then there's, everybody do this, the visible. Yeah, last, last Sunday at the third service, my wife was sitting right there. And uh, I'm preaching along just, you know, 10 minutes in. And I, I start noticing, she, she started doing this. And then the hands got up here. She's trying to get my attention. Finally, she's like doing this, windshield wiper, you know. Uh, and I'm like, babe, I'm preaching. What is going on? And she pointed to her, her belt 
And I looked down, and sure enough, my belt, uh, I hadn't, you know, cinched it up correctly, and it was kind of sticking straight out like this, apparently distracting for the people who were watching, all right? <laughs> so I just did the quick turn and stuck the belt back in. I was like, you okay now? And she's like, But she was non-verbally demonstrating something that needed to change in my life. And everybody here, that's, that's, that's our opportunity. And listen, isn't it true? Show and tell needs to go together. Okay? Because if you tell and don't show, it's terribly confusing. I, my Aunt Arlene, she died probably when I was in my, my late teens. And I didn't really get to grow up around her. She lived in the hinterlands of eastern Canada. But the few times I remember hanging out with my Aunt Arlene, I, these are my vivid memories. She was a smoker. She would sit at her kitchen table and just smoke cigarette after cigarette. And here's what she would tell me, five-year-old Mark. If I ever catch you smoking one of these, don't you ever start smoking one of these. <sighs> these are bad for you. <laughs> right? Very confusing for a five-year-old. You don't want me to smoke, yet you've, get, you've gotten through a whole pack this morning. Right? This is what happens. Christians are great at, at, at just repeating what they've heard in church. Just saying what we know to say. Everybody knows this one. Blah, blah, blah. Here's what you do. But then when they're out with their friends and that opportunity comes up to live that and do that and then they don't, that's the confusing part. Ann Arlene's telling you not to smoke. Right? So show has to, or excuse me, the tell has to be reflected in the show. But the show, listen, there's another thing that can happen a lot of times. It's that Christians just expect, I'll just live my life out in front of people and never talk to them. And you've got you've to get past that. Like, you can't just live by example and hope that someone understands who Jesus is and how to do it. You've got you to put the words with it. Not only that, some people show and do for others. Like, uh, uh, you know, I, I was in my life group. I've been in a life group now on Thursday mornings at Cracker Barrel for 10 years. It's been a long time. Lots of different pieces have come in and out. Uh, but, but almost always it's guys who are, you know, interested in growing in their faith, maybe not real comfortable, you know, with the word yet, and, and, or, or even praying out loud. And the first few years that I was there, guess who prayed every morning at this life group? Me. Because I was the pastor, and we would say, all right, let's pray. And everybody would just look at me, and I was like, all right, here we go. Blah, 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 blah. Was I helping people learn to pray? No. I, I mean, discipleship is not just uh, telling them or showing them. It's saying, hey, you do this. It's an it's, uh, emergency room classroom style. See one, share one, do one. All right? So now the quietest morning at any of my uh, life groups on Thursday, or the quietest part of the morning, is when I say, who wants to pray? Everybody could be talking, laughing, yucking it up. I say that loud enough that everybody can hear, and it's like, oh. And now the guys have figured out, someone better hurry up and volunteer, or I'm going to pick somebody. All right? And what's happening is I'm not the guy praying at our, I still pray, but I'm not the guy praying in our life group anymore. Why? Because I want to model that and then share that with the other guys that are there. So everybody get what I'm saying? There's the verbal. One more time. The, 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 the things that accord with sound doctrine are going to come in the form of verbal. So everybody say verbal. Verbal. And then the visible. You've got to live it out. So today and, and next week, just so you know, we're not going to get through all the verses I was supposed to do today. Uh, we're going to kind of just mishmash this in a couple weeks. So if you care, that's, if you're an ordered person, that was for you. All right, here we go. How does God use his church to teach his church? Just let me reiterate one thing just so you, we got it clearly. 
the, the way that he does it primarily, go to the next slide, is that the mature in faith lead the more recent in faith, or the le- least faith, the, uh, more recent in faith. The less mature in faith look to the mature in faith, and, and they, they figure out how they're supposed to, to do this. They, they figure out how to live. And, and let, me, let me say, mature doesn't necessarily line up with, with age or years. A lot of times it does, but you can have, you know, like it says in Psalm 8, out of the mouths of babes. Uh, I, I've quoted that all the time when I see a young person schooling an older person in the faith. I'm like, whoa, that you should, you know, the, the, Paul told Timothy, hey, man, don't let them look down on you because you're young. You know, set an example. And we, we listen, so regardless of our age, we're, we're going to be at, at some points more mature than maybe people who are chronologically older than us, and we're going to be able to pour into them. Like, like I was sitting with my kids. I went uh, Friday afternoon, Eleanor got off work, and we drove up to St. Augustine to see my my two children, one's at UNF in Jacksonville and one's at Flagler, and so we just spent the night. I bought them two meals. We came home, right? And uh, <laughs> it's just expensive. Anyway, uh, we got to hang out with them, and, and uh, we were sitting in St. Augustine Friday night uh, at this coffee shop where all the college kids go, and it's very, I'm, I'm feeling very cool. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm sipping my pumpkin latte, and, uh, and, and, and things, things kind of shift towards the spiritual. We're talking about Kai and her first few months in college and the churn that she feels and she doesn't know what she wants to do and so Eleanor and I took turns being the parents in this thing and then all of a sudden my 21 year old son Ben pipes up and I just never know what's going to fall out of that kid's mouth but in this particular instance it was salient proper godly counsel and wisdom I almost fell off my chair right because you know that's not what I'm used to getting from my kid he's the one who makes fun of the other kids and is really good at it but in this particular instance, he just said some really great things to his younger sister. It was sweet. Eleanor and I kind of just looked at each other. You, do you know this kid? I don't know this kid. And so I was walking back to the car, and I said to Ben, I said, Ben, that was awesome. Way to go, bro. I, I don't know if, you know, what, what, he's like, well, but uh, uh, the mature in the faith, helping the more recent in the faith, the the, the, the person who's been through an experience and has, has seen, as, as Ben has in college, he's seen how God has helped him through what my daughter Kai was going through. They're able to speak, and so they become in those moments the discipler of this other person. Not better than the other person, but just the mature person who can lead in a situation that a person needs direction in. Now, this brings up this question, though. Okay, the mature in the faith lead the more recent in the faith. Which one am I? Am I the mature or am I the more recent? Does anybody want to know the answer to this one? Anybody guess, guess it already? You're, you're both. You're both. Because anybody in here complete, anybody here a black belt Christian? Like fifth degree? You got it all done, right? You nailed everything. You, you know all the answers. You remember the whole, memorized the whole Bible. And in every situation, you act perfectly. You're the fourth member of the Trinity, like we like to joke around here. And you're just done. Is anybody in here done? You're not even close. If you think you're done, you just proved to me that you are not done. Right? So everybody in here has something to learn from somebody. I, I went out to lunch twice last week, uh, Monday and Wednesday. On Monday, I went, to, I went to lunch with a pastor here in our community. And on that day, that particular hour, I was the disciple Because this guy's my age. Uh, we're just hanging out and having lunch. We're trying to develop a friendship. He's a great guy. Loves the Lord. And, and he's a pastor, so he's not messing around. He just goes deep. Hey, what's going on in your life? And for whatever reason, I'm, I'm like you, I can deflect with the best of you. I can just, oh, this is fine, blah, blah, blah. But for whatever reason, 
felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, open up to this guy. And so I just talked about, and listen, I'm not in any trouble or pain, but I just, I talked openly like the rest of us do about the things that aren't perfect in my life. Felt like I could trust him with it. Dropped it on him. He gave me some great advice. Emailed me the next day to encourage me. I was disciple He was disciple Went out to lunch on Wednesday. There's a young guy from our church. He's considering going into the ministry. Had all kinds of questions about what that looks like and what that requires and how do you do this. And so I wasn't, you know, sitting in a bathrobe on a high mountain peak with a long beard being like, oh, yes. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I wouldn't purporting to be his sensei. But I had the opportunity to just share with this guy some things that God has taught me in my experience as a pastor. Discipler, disciplee. We switch roles all the time. Need to. Because there's things that God needs to pour into us from other people, and there's things that God needs to pour out of us, uh, maybe to the same person at a different time. Are you with me? It, it, it kind of goes to what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Remember he said there's one body but many parts? A lot of times we read that section of Scripture and we think, well, I'm, I'm the eyeball and I'm the ear and I do this. And we think in terms of a lot of, of like service and, and things moving forward in the church so that the mission is accomplished. Don't miss that everybody in here has a discipleship role from one time to another in the lives of the other disciples in this church. It's, it's just how it's going to work. And, and when he talks about the unity of the body and everybody working together, he's not just talking about the mission out there. He's talking about the growth and the discipleship in here and everybody playing a role. And if some of us don't play a role, the lights go off. If some of us abdicate from that, you know, that opportunity of, of being someone's encourager or discipler, we don't grow as quickly and the mission starts to sputter. So, that was my intro. <laughs> Let's go back to this question. How does God use his church to teach his church? And just with the, the 10 minutes or so we got left, some of you are like, Beep. All right. Uh, how does God uh, use his church to teach his church? He starts with the, with the mature men. Here in this text, Titus is told, teach sound doctrine. And the first ones off the list, fellas, is us. Uh, this is a great chance for me to say that I think historically uh, uh, the men of the church have not been more important than the women of the church, but they are certainly different from the women of the church, and they have leadership that they need to bring to the church. Uh, in recent history, I think that this has begun to wane, and that we as the men of the church have just abdicated a lot of the leadership that we were meant to bring to the church to the ladies of the church. This ought not to be, fellas. We shouldn't be the guys that she has to drag to church. We shouldn't be the guys who are the reluctant, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll do with the very lead. We, we should be the leaders that God has called us to be as men in the church. And so you and I need to take that mantle seriously. We need to do that for the sake of the other guys coming after us so that they know what it is to be a, a male disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Here, here's what the verse says in chapter 2, verse 2. Titus tells, uh, or Paul tells Titus, hey man, teach sound doctrine. Start with the old guys. Start with the mature men. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. I don't know how many words that is. It's one verse, but it is packed. Let's unpack it together. You ready? The first thing he says there is that older men, mature men, men who would be followed in the church, 
and sought as, as a discipler, they need to, first of all, be sober-minded. This means temperate, clear-headed, unencumbered by emotion, including things like revenge. You know, testosterone can kind of, you know, influence our Christianity sometime. We can all get all bowed up and, you know, we're going we're gonna to be bands, man. We're going to... No. A sober-minded, worthy-of-being-followed guy is temperate. He's clear-headed, and he's most known, when we see sober-minded... He's most known for his wisdom. He's the guy that when people are going through something, he can cut through all the stuff, all the drama. He can remain level-headed, clear-minded. And then when it comes time for the Holy Spirit to use somebody's voice here on this plane, he's the dude that's just, he's known for the things that come out of his mouth. They're just, they're from God. They're, They're wise. He's not perfect but he's willing to be the vessel that God wants him to be so that people can know the direction that God wants him to go. Sober-minded. He's dignified. We were talking about the, the role of elder a couple weeks ago. And we talked about that they were of good repute. Uh, dignified basically means that, that people around him can just sense and see from his life that he's worthy of, of a follow. I don't know if you follow people on Twitter or you know things like that. Uh, you don't follow everybody because not everybody's worthy of your follow. Well, it's the same thing in discipleship. Uh, you shouldn't follow every Christian. Some of them are going to lead you down a wrong path. But if you can find, listen, fellas in here, if you can find a man that you can be like, you know what, he's not perfect, but he's trying. I've seen wisdom come out of his mouth. I've seen him live wisely in his relationship with his wife and how he handles his kids, how he handles his business affairs. That guy's dignified. Not because he wears a suit, not because he has a title, but because he is a man of God. He's worthy of my follow, respectable, trustworthy. He's self-controlled. This is a common thing that you're going to see throughout. If, do you remember in the, in the, in the list of, of qualifications for elders, self-control was in there? You we're going to see in, in the list for older women and younger women and younger men, self-control. It's, it's the trump card of the Christian life. You have to be self-controlled. Now, we always say, no, we want God to control us. Absolutely. But when God gets control of us, uh, we want to be in in concert with him, able to say no to our appetites and yes to what we know in our heads. Does anybody remember me saying that? I said that most people, when they make decisions, they don't go with what they know, they go with what they feel. They they default to the things uh, that their emotions or their appetites steer them towards. So I know I don't need another piece of pie. But it sure would feel great to shove that in my face, right? Or I know I shouldn't sleep this, with this person that's not my wife or husband, but it sure would feel great to not be lonely. Are you with me? And so when you sin, just so you know, it's usually not a battle of, of what you know, it's a battle with how you feel. And when the Bible says that you should be self-controlled, it's saying, listen, I've ceded the control of myself over to God and I'm, I'm letting him trump me in my conversations in my head. I'm not going to listen to how I feel, but I'm going to stick with what I know. And what I know is the truth. And I'm self-controlled in following the truth. My head and what I know from God trumps my heart every time. Now, the Greek here kind of says that uh, uh, an older man, a mature man, someone who is worthy of being false, sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, and then it just kind of goes on, you know, Oxford comma here. It's just a big, long list of things. But basically what the Greek says is that if you want to be sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled, 
then you will choose to be sound in faith and in love and steadfastness. So it's kind of cause and effect. If I am sound in faith and in love and I'm steadfast, then the things that that produces in me is a clear head and dignity and self-control. Are you with me on that? So let's, let's unpack those. What's faith? Well, faith is, is us and God. It's this plan. Everybody do this, up and down. Come on, it's fun. You can try it. You're not doing it back there. I'm going to keep doing this until you do it. I'm looking right at you. Come on, dude. Seriously? My arm's tired. There it is. Thank you. It was you. Thank you. All right, great. It's this relationship between us and God. If you want to be a, a, a discipler who... Uh, who is worthy of being followed, then, then, then the first priority of your life is your relationship with Christ, your faith in him. Now, shortly after that, and I've talked about how everybody of us needs a, a card in our, our, our car somewhere where we can see it that has a big number three on it. You remember what the first thing was? God. That's that faith thing. The second thing was love, and that's everybody do this with me. All right, I won't make you all do it if you don't want to. But, but the, the love is the, is the love that we have for the people in our lives. Faith is first, others are second. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love others as you love yourself, right? We're third. So if you want to be someone as, as, a, as a man who is worthy of discipling, you make God the first, you make others, and, and your love for them second, and that's the word, the Greek word agape. And everybody, I, don't, I don't need to preach a sermon on agape, but it's the love anyway love. Okay? That means even when people aren't lovely, you still love them. That means uh, even when you feel like returning hate for hate, you refuse and you turn the other cheek. And you seek to love people. When, when, when you seek to honor God in faith, when you seek to love people and, and love them anyway, and then you choose finally to be steadfast. Ever read that in the Bible? Perseverance, steadfastness. Here's what steadfastness is. It, it's that it's that, that basic conviction that says no matter what comes, I'm going to have my relationship with God intact and I'm going to have my relationship with people and my love for them uh, preserved no matter what comes. I'm committed to this. It's my mind over my feelings like we were talking about. This is how I'm going to live. Not perfect, but my mission is to, is to do the work, to, to insist on the things that need to happen so I can become the man God wants me to be. Anybody watch a Rocky movie? It was on the other night. It's, it's always on. Rocky is always on somewhere on cable. Uh, there's like five or six of them now. I don't know. It's the same movie, people. We keep watching the same movie. He gets beat up in the first scene. He trains like a, you know, a, a crazed man, and then he goes fights a Russian or a Mohawk dude or something like that, and he wins in the end, right? That's, that's Rocky, okay? You know what my favorite parts of Rocky is? My favorite parts of Rocky is when he's, he's a broken down man. He's lost. You know, Adrian doesn't even like him anymore, right? And now he's just, he's, he, something turned on. Mickey yelled at him. Mickey died. Apollo died. I don't know. But something just went click, and all of a sudden, he is a man on a mission. And they have that, you know, uh, that sequence of scenes where there's a, you know, some, there's no easy way out, right? And, and, uh, uh, and what's he doing? He's training I mean, he's going bonkers. He's picking up logs and chasing chickens, and he's running through Philadelphia, and he's punching sides of beef, and he's sparring with people, and he's getting faster than Apollo. He beats him in the race on the beach, right? Anybody seen the movies? I love that. Why? Because all of that preparation 
is what leads to his success when the lights are on. Now, you don't need me to tell you this, but the, the Christian life isn't about showing up when the lights are on and trying to do the Christian life then. The Christian life is about living your life with steadfastness. When no one sees, having faith in God and love for others. So that when the time comes for you to be an influencer of someone else, that's already in there. You've done all the work. You've you've made the right choices so that when the hard choices come, you can make the right choices then. Mature men set the tone for men coming after him. And then uh, just... We're not going to get to anything else, but we'll talk about the mature women. Here we go. Mature women set the tone for the women coming after them. Older women likewise, Titus tells Paul, or Paul tells Titus, sorry, Paul wrote the letter. Older women likewise are to be reverent. You know what this word means? It's the only time it appears in your Greek New Testaments. It means like priestesses. You're, You're meant to be ladies so serious about your faith in Jesus Christ that you could be a priest at your local church, which we don't have them here, but but you get the point, right? You, you, you should look like you uh, have dedicated, like, a, you know, in our modern world, maybe nuns come close or something like that, but you're so reverent, you've dedicated your whole life and your behaviors, therefore, to following Jesus. He breaks it down into two things. It's not surprising that it involves the verbal and the visible. The first one's verbal. He says, you're not slanderers. You're not slanderers. You're not gossips. If I had more time to tease this out, i talk about the fact that yeah, men and women all have their flaws. I'm not going to overgeneralize in any way. But I, you know, raising a daughter, being married to my wife, having two sisters, I've noticed that females like to compare themselves to other females. Guys walk into a room, I don't even know there's other guys there, right? Women walk into a the room, they've seen every woman in there, and they've slotted themselves in comparison to those women a lot of times. Maybe it's not you. If you've grown past that, way to go. Not you, Athena? That's okay. We can work through it. All right. But, but they're prone to comparison. And what comparison does, it says, I need to be able to step up on them somehow. And so what often happens in a, in a woman's think, thought process is that I'll talk badly about these other ones so that I feel better about myself. And it becomes almost sport, slander, gossip. It's a reality television show. Turn on, you know, uh, E or any of It's just people talking bad about people. Did you see what she wore to the Oscars? Oh, my God. Right? And it's just slander. And, and, and it can become, like it's the source material for entire shows. It becomes entertainment. It becomes your life. And apparently it was happening in the churches that Titus was a part of. He's like, dude, you've got to teach these ladies to shut up. If you don't have anything good to say, don't, don't say anything. Use your mouth, uh, like it says in Ephesians, to build up, not to tear down. Don't let any, un- let, let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. No slanders. And then it says, listen, don't let the la- don't go back. Don't be let, let the ladies be slaves to much wine. <laughs> Apparently there was a, like a, a real housewives of Crete. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the ladies would get together and they would just, you know, get out the box of wine. And, 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 and because they were idle, this is what would happen in that culture. There was some uh, households where the women didn't have time for this. But there were lots of households apparently where they had slaves in place. And so the women uh, were just, you know, idle. And they didn't have any time. And, and so what they dedicated their time to was getting drunk, probably slandering, and then passing out and waking up and doing it again. All right? And so, okay, uh, hopefully it's a given that we don't get drunk and, and spend our time doing that late. But some of you are like, well, that's not me. This, I can just discount that. No, no. If you've become idle 
with your time, with your thinking. If you're using it, uh, how about this, to worry. Any ladies in here have the worry gene? Yeah, and you, you fill your time with idle worry, which is just empty calories, ladies. You can't, you can't manipulate, no matter how you try, hard you try to do it in your mind and emotions, you cannot manipulate matter and people into doing the things you want them to do. Let go, right? Be free of that. What, what, what Paul's telling Titus, hey man, keep them out of the box of wine, but keep them busy on the mission that they have for Christ. Don't let them use their, their tongues to tear down let them use them to build it up. Don't, don't let them use their time to just wait, you know, just wasting. Let, use their time as an investment to honor Christ. He says they are to teach what is good and so train the younger women. Uh, we'll talk more about that next week. We're out of time. But is everybody hearing what uh, Paul's starting to put down with Titus here? Hey, y'all. Everybody's someone's overseer or pastor out there. Everyone in here is going to be a disciple or a disciple at different times, and we all should aspire to be in the mature men and women, the mature followers of Christ that people can look to in their time of need, in their time of question, find answers from us, see how they should live and how we live. Now, I'm looking at some young people out here, and you're like, I'm seven, I'm ten. This doesn't apply to me at all. You're somebody's mature woman or mature man. Go next door. There's seven-year-olds who are looking at you, 10-year-old, and being like, oh, he's a god. No, you're just 10, and you're like three years older. But you're never too young to start influencing other people. Are you with me? So be an influence. Be an influence for Jesus so that the mission moves forward. We all get surrendered to him. We all make disciples, not just converts, but disciples who grow in their faith and accomplish what God's bidding is here on this earth. Amen? Let's do that. God, thanks so much for a chance to go through your word. Use it in our lives, I pray, to your glory. Make us better disciples who make better disciples who make better disciples for your name's sake. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Have a great day. We'll see you tonight. If you need prayer, come over and get it. God bless you.